in high school, I wasn't like a popular kid or anything, and I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't really have friends until I left high school, like close friends um, that I was really vulnerable around and things. So for me, putting my feelings and stuff on the internet was very daunting, but the responses that I got were was so encouraging and making other people feel less alone. And I was like, and and that was what made it okay. I just have a lot of feelings. And I'm going to talk to you about the unintended consequences social media is having on your mental health. Is it genetic? Oh, Christ. How on earth can you have a problem with anxiety, Jordan, when you are so confident on stage? But I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. Most everyone's mad here. Can <laughs> would you stop taking pictures of yourself? Your sister's going to jail. Like any good millennial sort, I've spent close to a decade scrolling through the deek. <laughs> scrolling through the deek? <laughs> We're not going to edit that out. You're just going to keep going. Sorry. <laughs> Scrolling through. Okay. Like any good millennial sort, I've spent... <laughs> keep it together now. I'm not letting you do another take. So. No, no. Like any good millennial sort, I've spent close to a decade scrolling through the deep, dark depths of the internet. However, as somebody with obsessive... Comp- okay, I'm so sorry. I've lost it. All right. Start from however, please. Okay. I'm sorry, everybody listening. We're going to get there. We've got to stay together. However, as somebody with obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety, I too have spent the last decade dealing with a smattering of anxious breakdowns. And like how we once tended to our Tamagotchis and not necessarily our Tinder dates, the internet and the way we make, express and articulate mental illness has changed over time. There seems to be, uh, dare I say it, a healthier way to express that really uncomfortable firm lump in one's throat in the 21st century. And, much to the likely stop of others, that way is in the evolution of internet memes. Internet memes. The first meme I ever saw was one of those email chains. Do you remember those? Yes. <laughs> Everyone does. Your parents or maybe your older cousins would get sent them. I remember once my older cousin Catherine forgot to log out of our desktop computer after a visit one day and I went through her emails as any diligent 12-year-old does and I clicked on this email with the subject line, world's worst willy. I knew it was a bad idea and I knew I'd eventually get in trouble because I'd have to tell my parents that I'd seen this thing, but I did. You'd seen this thing, the world's worst willy. I saw it. I saw it. It was the worst. We have come a long way since that haunting micro penis. Everyone knows what a meme is now. Your grandma does. She might even make them on the side. And for the most part, we'd say the proliferation of memes is a positive. Mm. It's sort of like a universal language of shared experience. They say a picture paints a thousand words, but if you pair it with some witty text, you're preaching to the masses. It's true. Due to the vast array of themes prevalent amongst memes, perhaps more suitably meme themes, Mm. It would be unfair of me to assume all memes are designed with the same homogenous sentiment in mind. No, some of them are about Cheetos or like pizza. That's it. Pineapple on pizza. Oh, that's a big one. That's a big one. Many, many memes have been spawned from that. Our first guest 
it, there's no one better to chat to about memes. Mm. Carolyn's been doing this for a long time. She is a certified firecracker of a human. Her full name is Carolyn Dusheen, and she makes memes under that same name. She's been in the business of creating funny shit online for a fair few years now, and she's one of Australia's most loved meme makers. She's also someone who's open about her mental illness. This often translates in the memes she makes. So we're going to chat to her about the complexities of making fun of a reality that is, for the most part, not actually that funny. We'll also be chatting to Bridian O'Day. She's a researcher at the Black Dog Institute, which is a not-for-profit establishment for diagnosis, treatment and prevention of mood disorders. She focuses on online interventions for depression and anxiety, as well as adolescent mental health. We wanted to talk to an expert in this episode purely because memes, or more specifically depression memes, are a pretty new thing when it comes to how mental illness is documented. Hello, this is Carolyn. Oh, Carolyn. <laughs> Hello, how are you? <laughs> Good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> I love how whenever we set up a phone call where we're calling someone, they always say, hello, this is this is uh, Genevieve speaking. <laughs> like, you have never answered the phone like that in your life. <laughs> yeah, I do. You do, you do. You're a professional woman these days. What is your mental illness? So what are you, what are you necessarily diagnosed with? Yeah, so I have major depression. I was diagnosed with it when I was, like, 14. So, um, I've been on medication for that since I was, yeah, about 14, 15. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so major depression. I think diagnosis, there's lots of different ones, and like every human's so different. So, people just kind of give blanket terms to what closely fits what they're experiencing but I agree and often they tend Mm -hmm. to uh, often people aren't necessarily all of one thing and all of the other totally yeah totally what do you how would you say like what could you give us an example of how that manifests day to day like is it a is it a do you get depressive episodes or is it sort of always with you how would you describe it yeah I would say it's it's always been with me um and it's the sort of thing that because I'm on 150 milligrams of sertraline, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> That's um, so apt. Yeah, yeah. I was like, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, since I was like 14, it's so much easier to manage with antidepressants. But, for example, if I forget to take them one day, um, it's kind of like... If I could describe it before I started taking medication, it's kind of just like this cloud of darkness that's like always with me, but it's always associated with like thoughts about how like shit you are sort of thing. Right. Um, so like I go to high school, for example, when I was really depressed in high school, I'd like get up in the morning, go to school, and then it would kind of usually manifest more like in the evenings when I was in my bedroom by myself sort of thing. Right. Um, but it's just kind of this, like, feeling of doom, I think it's. Say. I think it's really interesting here to note, you and I are friends, so I know a bit about you. You, yeah. and I'm sorry if you don't want me to tell everyone this, but you were pretty much yeah, like okay. the ducks of Adelaide at school, so you passed with flying colours. I think, you, did you get a perfect score in school? Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Oh mate, I got forty four. <laughs> I got four, the forty four out of forty five on the international baccalaureate um, diploma. Oh my god! Yeah, I think and that just that just goes to show that I think a lot of people imagine people who have major depression or who are depressed as can't get out of bed, but you can be high functioning and still having a really fucking shit. Time. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, totally, totally. It's like I like dove into my studies and I've always done this when I'm depressed or anxious instead of actually going to like I've been going to therapy but like instead of dealing with it I just like overfill my schedule and that's what I did in high school and I finished high school when I was 15 oh wow Um, Jesus so I finished at 15 and it's just got the ducks and everything like that and then um what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and here we are now talking on No Chill. I find that really, really yeah. interesting what you're talking about in terms of being like quite productive and, and, and sort of expressing yourself in this way. And that kind of brings us back to, to why you're on this podcast, which is we really want to talk to you about your memes that you make and um, <laughs> how your mental illness manifests in these memes. So when did you start making depression memes? Or actually, when did you start making memes in general? In general, yeah. And then we'll yeah. get to the depression memes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, oh, that thing. Uh, um, yeah, so I started making them in um, October 2015. Ooh, specific. When I... Yeah, TBT. When I... Um, I saw, like, I was scrolling Instagram and I saw this one post that was just basically just like a Whole Foods ad or something from the US. And then there's just like a really long caption by my friend Trevor. Um, It was a really long caption, just absolutely ripping into those, like, white women that go to Whole Foods and, like, and it was just like, I was pissing myself. And I was like, then I started thinking like that whenever I walked around. And it actually helped me with mental illness because humor is like a huge, like an amazing antidepressant um, in general. Yeah, for sure. Um, So then I started making memes about, you know, uncomfortable experiences or whatever. And then people were like, aha, this happens to me all the time. And I was like, wow, like I feel so much less alone, et cetera. And then, I didn't really make depression because I wasn't depressed. Like I was, I, I go through sometimes. Like it's it's rare these days for me to go through a period of depression. Like I'm usually like, chill. I was about to say chilled, but like yeah. <laughs> no chill, <laughs> no chill. <laughs> um, but this year I randomly, I think because Melbourne winter and like working full time in a new job and all this, I was working too much, and I just like found myself in depression and I was so like it was scary because I was I hadn't been in that in years so I obviously hadn't made depression memes mm-hmm. and stuff like that because I didn't feel depressed I just felt annoyed at society as usual that's like a constant <laughs> it's a constant feeling. I I really love what you say about how you saw that Whole Foods meme and then you started seeing everything around you as a meme because mm. I think that's yeah. – and I see that working with you sometimes is like we'll be having a conversation on Messenger and then you'll take something that I've said and make it into a meme because you're just constantly thinking in that headspace. Yeah. So it makes sense that, if it, that your moods completely dictate the kind of memes that you're creating, right? Absolutely, and I think it's just become an in, like a, 
a coping mechanism that's so instant. In high school, I wasn't like a popular kid or anything, and I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't really have friends until I left high school, like close friends um, that I was really vulnerable around and things. So for me, putting my feelings and stuff on the internet was very daunting, but the responses that I got were was so encouraging and making other people feel less alone. And I was like, and and that was what made it okay. But then lately, like with um, more depression memes and stuff, it's like not everyone has depression and a lot of people are in denial if they do or whatever. And they get really angry and stuff like that, which will shut it off. But, um, but it's definitely, like I've, it's definitely a lot easier to post memes about anxiety than depression because depression is still seen as so shameful and that's the whole that's what surrounds depression is this huge amount of shame um so a lot of people don't want to talk about it still just like like my mom can't really say the word depression she just says anxiety to yep. describe it yeah um it's like very ingrained in our culture that depression is just laziness and weak and shameful and stuff that is you've absolutely hit the nail on the head and I think because anxiety is a feeling that is a human feeling right mm. it's, it's mm. fight or flight it's just that there's a difference between anxiety and having an anxiety disorder so like an anxiety disorder yeah. you're getting it all the time whereas That's it. so everyone can relate in a sense but then with depression I guess if you haven't gone through it it's it is just like what are you doing like stop eating noodles get out of bed yeah. go for a run <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, I've been sad before. I was sad after my breakup. And you know what? I just picked myself up and kept moving. <laughs> you said before that school, maybe you didn't have that many friends in school. I want to know now, you've got like 100,000 followers. Yeah. How does that feel? I think I want to talk about in person because I remember when I when I first met you, I was really, yeah. you were like a deity, like you were this meme god and you were just this fountain of content creation <laughs> and I wanted to know you. And I was attracted to the fact that you had garnered such a big audience like do you get people who are clinger honorers and stuff like that and how does how do you deal with that being someone who's experienced being on the outer yeah um i don't know it's kind of weird <laughs> like i still feel so alone and then i'm like uh like all these people see, and I forget that I have all these people that can see stuff so if I'm like going if I'm like feeling mad I'm like oh my god I'm just going to post all these videos close up of my face and then I wake up the next day and I'm like holy crap people actually watch this yes oh my god <laughs> I'm like, I'm like oh my gosh I look like crazy <laughs> I'm like better better delete those eh? yes <laughs> but um but yeah I mean to be honest like that that algorithm, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, I haven't been, um, like, I haven't been gaining in followers a lot, like, over the past year or so, because to do that, you have to, like, these days with the algorithm, you have to hustle so much and just pump out content, and that kind of goes against the whole, like, um, like, intuitive beauty that is, like, content because if you're trying to pump it out it's just like especially with mental illness memes and stuff you just feel like a mental illness meme machine you know <laughs> totally if you're trying to force it it's probably shit exactly yeah <laughs> and that's really anything in life yeah and I really 
I really like the way you speak about making memes as this kind of intuitive, like, art form almost. And that brings us to, to one of our really important questions is what's your process like when you're making a meme? Like, do you have a, especially mental illness memes, do you have a moment where you go, oh, I feel terrible, and then you think about fleshing it out on, on paper or on the screen, rather? Yes, totally. That's what I do. So I'll... It's usually at work when I'm, like, bored out of my brain or or just walking through the city and something that's been bothering... It's usually something that's been bothering me for a while and I suddenly have, like, an outside sort of therapy, like, perspective on it where I'm, like, hang on, this I can package this. How can I package this into something that's humorous? Like, how can I package what I've been feeling into a, a short, short like, piece of content that can validate it and validate other people's feeling of it as well? And then I go on We Heart It, which is, like, basically, like, Pinterest, and I have all these collections of those faces, like, <laughs> of faces. <laughs> I collect people's Catalog. skins. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, of just, like, reaction memes. And people put, like, it's insane, like... Oh, I think they're all like 13 years old the people that use this website <laughs> but like they like have these huge collections of like um, like reaction memes right. to any sort of things and I just like they already compiled them so I just go through and like save them to my collections or whatever then I go through and see if there's any new ones and usually oftentimes I'll go through and I'll see one and then it'll like inspire me to make me and then I'll put that with the text and then post it honestly I just post whenever the heck I like one <laughs> and it's sometimes like I literally don't give a fuck I, but I want to know so you find it therapeutic but I've seen a few of the comments and you've shared them with us some people mm. get really mad about these depression memes and they think that you're creating a problem or you're normalising depression and maybe convincing people that they're depressed when really just they're just having a shitty day what would you say to the people who think that to the haters yeah that's so true um people get so angry because I think especially because like I'm like it's like a young white girl like you know they think millennial like they think like oh she's just trying to make everything trendy without actually knowing my struggle or anything like that um and they're like oh I think this is disgusting how everyone's like okay in a sense I agree with people using throwing around terms of serious mental illnesses that have nothing to do like people like oh my god it's so OCD or like oh my god I'm so bipolar or like whatever. we both feel that on such so, a deep level yeah. you, you are speaking uh, out you are literally our, our god right now yeah <laughs> literally like oh my gosh and I hate those basic people that, that just like talk like that and it's just like shut up like you're not OCD like Karen you just like like to... <laughs> yeah I totally don't agree with like like making mental illness cute or trendy you know it's disgusting when you see them on like um like online like on ASOS and stuff like that like t-shirts that say like like my mood swings like stuff like that you know what I mean yeah, like it's just like oh anxiety like Xanax necklace uh-huh. like, especially when oh, it's being like, commodified right totally yes exactly and I'm like like shut up like 
Like, it's like literally the worst thing of my life. Why would I want to wear it on a fucking $2 necklace? I think, you know what? I think the reaction, the different reaction to your depression memes really proves that we still don't agree on a language around how to talk about mental illness. So some people, they're like, it's Are You Okay Day? You need to take it seriously. And that's why they're reaching out in earnest. Whereas other people, it's about normalizing it and I think we haven't come to an agreement as a society Mm. as to how to I don't think we ever will but as to how to sort of Mm. go about it it's such a sensitive topic like it it really is a sensitive topic and especially between um between generations yes like my parents would my parents would see a depression meme and a they just wouldn't understand what's going on and then b if they did they'd probably they would think oh are you okay is this a cry for help yes exactly and yeah, totally. Like, and my mum, like, like, is like, oh, like, you know, this is this. Like, she sends me links saying, like, oh, yeah, this will, like, help you with your, you know, mood swings. And I'm like, well, I have depression. <laughs> and I've had it for, like, 10 years. <laughs> but also mood swings, yes, yes. She's like, yeah, you know, your overall, your overall anxiety. And I'm like, no, I don't have anxiety. <laughs> Different diagnosis. We have one final question for you, Caro. First... Before I ask it, just want to thank you for coming on to No Chill. We've loved having you. You've been incredible. Thank you so much. Oh, oh, I have not been incredible. I overslept. <laughs> you were 13 oh. minutes late, but it meant I could get I another know. coffee, so that's okay. I want to know. Yeah, I have a Bailey's going on. <laughs> I, really, I really want a Bailey's now. Anyway, what is the one thing that you keep offline? I keep offline, like, if I'm having an actual fight with a friend, like, I'm not going to make a meme about it. Like, I'm, you know, if I'm having a fight with someone, or if you know someone pisses me off, in my who's my friends, I'm not going to make a meme about them, or I'm not going to make that into like a thing and post it. You I'm know, sorry, I'm not like a but I'm imagining this okay. hilarious meme fight between two people where they just send each other angry memes. Memes <laughs> <Yes. laughs> oh just like roasting each other when you like when you when you an idiot. <laughs> That is fire. Post that right now. When you're an idiot. Wow. Oh my god, no, just don't 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 put that on the podcast because might steal it. Yeah. <laughs> Hello Bridie, welcome. Thanks for having me. Could you tell us who you are? Um, Well, I am a research fellow at the Black Dog Institute uh, here in Sydney, and I spend my time researching the ways that technology impacts our mental health and the ways that we can use technology to improve our mental health and well-being. I read in an online bio that you're currently investigating the ways our digital footprints can be used to improve our mental health. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so traditionally in mental health research, we've typically asked a person how they're feeling and use that to uh, infer their mental health. And that's a very active way of engaging with someone's mental health. But I'm interested in the passive ways. So what are the things that people are doing naturally in the daily course of their lives? Uh, and in particular online, that we can use to infer their mental health. And the reason why I'm interested in doing that is so that we can get real-time indications of how people are feeling and take these measurements at scale, so large populations all at once. Right. And can you talk us through how that works in a look with an example? Sure. So looking at something like... uh, 
the amount of time that we're spending uh, on our phones or on social media, what we're doing on social media, the content that we're exposed to on social media. Uh, we can look at mobile phone sensors, so the type of data that mobile phones collect, and sort of piecing that all together in a big jigsaw puzzle and, and trying to infer what does that say about your mood, what does that say about your anxiety. Right. So could it be as minute detail as like if I follow a lot of fitness Instagram accounts and then you see that I maybe start if I come to a psychologist and I have sort of problems with disordered eating would you be able to see the correlation there certainly that's what we're that's definitely something that we're looking at associations between exposure and behavior and mood Uh, and then also perhaps uh, the inverse so that if somebody is feeling down do they turn to their phone more do they turn to the internet more and and why is that so really trying to understand not just the uh, impact that technology has on our mood but how we can use technology to detect when people might be in need of mental health care right I I find this really interesting I was hung over yesterday um (laughs) And the only time that I ever go to stalk my ex-partners yep. is when I'm hungover and yep. bored and, like, feeling like I want to feel some emotion. Vulnerable. Yeah, vulnerable. <laughs> yes, because the brain chemistry is changing when you're hungover. So yeah, that, that okay. explains that. Obviously, memes can use humour, which is a really nice way of dismantling stigma around mental illness. But do you ever think sometimes it can be a negative or it can perpetuate the stigma? Yeah, so we know that if memes challenge some of the common misconceptions, then they can actually break down the stigma. And in society, there's a range of different myths uh, surrounding mental illness. So, for example, uh, people think that those who get mental illness are weak, uh, that people with mental illness are different or inferior or perhaps more dangerous or violent. Uh, Things like mental illness is just a bad attitude, that people should just get over it. And that people with mental illness are somehow not as good employees, parents or friends as those without. So if the memes directly challenge these ideals, then they're excellent at breaking down the stigma. However, we know that uh, that doesn't always work out and that there are some cases where memes perhaps can exacerbate this stigma. And therefore, people who are sort of creating memes, endorsing memes and sharing memes need to really understand that perpetuating these myths uh, has a significant negative impact on people. Uh, It stops people from seeking help. It means that they perhaps are going to be feeling these symptoms for longer and that mental illness will remain untreated. And so we really do need to be mindful of those, those things. So what are the dangers, do you think, of framing anxiety or depression as a gag? Well, humour is a tricky thing. Uh, We know that it creates positive emotion and we know that it can reduce negative emotions. And we consider humour to be a positive trait. It's something we want to see in ourselves. It's something we want to see in others. And we associate humour with good well-being. But there are different types of humour and some types of humour can be helpful where other types of humour can be maladaptive. So, for example... um, humour where you are self-enhancing, so where you're able to laugh at oneself in a a good-natured way is considered to be very adaptive and helpful. But self-defeating humour where you put yourself down is considered to be maladaptive. And so when we think about mental illness and using humour to cope with mental illness, 
Uh, we know uh, from one study that was done that humour can be more helpful for coping with something like anxiety and less helpful for coping with something like depression. So we do need to be conscious that uh, humour doesn't affect everybody in the same way. Um, they also did a study in Norway where they looked at students uh, students at university and they looked at the way they used memes to cope with uh, daily life. And actually, in those in the student body, what they found was that the self-deprecating humour helped them to sort of refocus the attention on that perfect self, you know, the student who gets good marks, copes well, uh, to refocus the attention on humorous failure and it sort of helped um, lift the lid on what it really feels like to be a student. Right. So in that way uh, humour can be very effective but we do have to remember that humour can be both inclusive and exclusive so um, while we're trying to create a joke that other people will relate to it can be at a cost of others and so we know that humour can be divisive and create issues relating to things like gender or sexual orientation or class or ability so while memes and and humour can uh, I guess help strengthen and solidify that experience for people with mental illness we know that for some it'll actually mock their experience right you don't want that that's right so as you can see there's two sides of the coin and it's very tricky and complex but something just to be um, mindful of how important do you think it is you yourself you're not a practicing psychologist you're a researcher yes how important do you think it is though that psychologists who are treating young people with mental illness have a familiarity with digital sort of languages? Well, I think it's really important in terms of um, people who are treating, uh, clinicians who are treating young people, to know what they're doing in their day-to-day life and how that may be linked to their thoughts and behaviour. And so trying to understand what they're using uh, their technology for and how that technology is impacting them uh, will help the clinician to frame the therapy in the, inter- in the intervention that they're delivering to the young person. Because we know that when you're experiencing a mental health problem, uh, you can be vulnerable to certain types of um, stimulus. So as you talked about before, that if you were going through uh, disordered eating and having negative uh, thoughts about your body, that overexposure to certain images can actually exacerbate that. And so while we know that simply being seeing images won't necessarily cause that, that at certain times in your life, whether it be in a relationship breakup or going through a different transition, a stressful life event, what you see online... Uh, can negatively impact you. Right, right. So you've got to be conscious of the kind of content you're consuming if you think you're at risk, maybe. Yeah, and a, a really good therapist or a good clinician will help you see that link. And that's that's really what therapy is all about, is helping you see the links between your thoughts, your actions, your behaviour and your feelings, and then building strategies and techniques to intervene and overcome that. In your TED Talk, um, you state that our phones know us better than we know ourselves. Sure. Can you talk us through that concept? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, recently the research is really starting, as I talked about before, really starting to look at what things does the phone capture that perhaps um, 
we're not able to see easily ourselves in everyday life. And so, for example, uh, there was a study uh, that they did overseas that they were trying to look at markers of depression in uh, people who were working, so employed people. And one of the things they found simply by tracking uh, the phone is that a change in the time that you arrived at work every day was actually an indicator of whether somebody was becoming depressed. And so they were able to track minute changes in your work start time by looking at GPS data uh, on your phone. And so that is something that perhaps you may not be aware of uh, and your workmates may not necessarily notice, but your phone picked up on very early on. Wow. Okay. Do you think in the future of therapy, looking at phones and tracking phones and using that data is going to become more and more common? Definitely, and it's already started. There are a lot of different um, researchers and clinicians that are looking to the phone to help uh, improve the quality and the outcomes of treatment. So, for example, uh, mood monitoring, so monitoring your fluctuations in mood, is really important for something like bipolar disorder. And so by using an app on your phone and monitoring your mood, you're able to then, when you see your therapist or clinician, say, okay, this was my mood over the past month. This is... I'm feeling saddest when I'm here. I'm feeling happiest when I'm here. And again, just helps you kind of see those tangible links between how you're feeling and your environment. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that we haven't previously been able to really do as well without technology. You know, we did have paper-based forms and those kinds of things, but we all know that our phone's on us all the time. It's easy, accessible, it's engaging and fun to use. And so this kind of just opens up all these new opportunities for improving mental health care. Right. I love that you have a positive sort of view on it, a spin on it. You're not like, we need to stop using our phones because you know that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I think the important thing that I really want uh, the community to understand is that mental health is a complex issue and what we really want to see in individuals is an understanding of how you're feeling is linked to your environment, your behaviour and your actions, but that there's a lot of things going on when a mental health problem uh, occurs. And so it's really about getting professional help early on and trying to understand and unpack that rather than blaming it on one particular device or one particular technology or one particular food or something like that. So it's very complex and that's why getting help early on is really the right and best course of action. Totally. What would your phone say about you? Oh, that's a good (laughs) question. Well, you know, it's interesting because I spend all my time researching technology, but I'm actually very hopeless with my phone. <laughs> so I think my phone would say that I'm very antisocial. Okay. Um, I'm not good at replying to messages or texts or anything like that. Um, but I do find, and for me in particular, social media and those types of technologies really good at what they were designed to do, and that's connecting with others. And I think social media is an excellent way for sharing uh, things that happen in your life with other people. And being for me, being able to see all of the good things that are happening in other people's lives, I get a lot of reward out of that. Um, and it's I'm one of nine children, and oh, wow. all my brothers and sisters live all over the place, and I find it a really excellent way of maintaining that strong family connection as well. We ask every guest who comes on to No Chill this, Mm-hmm. What's the one thing that you keep offline? Oh, that's a good question. I 
keep offline things about my personal relationships Uh, and because something that I think that's difficult to do on social media is establish context and so therefore when you're sharing information and things on social media it is really often difficult to give all the context that is needed to make a judgment about something so I definitely refrain from sharing things that the meaning could be ambiguous and some people really enjoy that aspect of social media they like that Uh, but for me personally um, I keep off anything that's ambiguous if this episode brought up any ugly feelings or if you just need to have a chat with someone who gets it you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14, Headspace on 1800 650 890, or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. Next time on No Chill, we're bringing out the big legislated guns to go out with a bang. We'll be talking to a lawyer about what is and isn't kosher online. We'll also be talking to a content creator whose whole MO is pushing the boundaries. His name is Campbell Walker. You probably know him as Struthless69 on Instagram. And we can't wait to cap off season one of No Chill with a thud of the gavel. If you know somebody who could really take a No Chill pill, tell them they can find us by searching for No Chill on iTunes. And if you listen to us and wonder what we look like or want to know what we eat for breakfast and i'm stressing again we don't post that stuff if you want to see photos of my gorgeous dog via my insta stories you can follow us on instagram lucinda is at frooms and that's triple zero triple o rather and i am at madison r griffiths and if you like this podcast or if you're one of our enemies and you thought this recording was super shit and but you bitched about it in your group chat you still got something out of it so please Chuck us five stars on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, don't keep calm, but do carry on. Goodbye. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. <laughs> 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 <laughs>